0: This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. And here we go. Episode 26 features Zach Riley, PhD, Pro Highland Games athlete, and one of my favorite people to talk training with. But before we get to that, we have the top of the show question, and today's question is another solid one. Robert asks, hey Tom, I've been with my coach a few months, and I'm not seeing the progress I think I should be seeing. I'm thinking of switching to another coach that a friend of mine has been using and is seeing a ton of progress with, but I wanted your thoughts, so what do you think? First off, we have a great article on the Strength Agenda site titled Five Signs You Should Fire Your Coach. I highly recommend you check that out, but let's dive into this one and help you out. First off, the biggest question you need to answer is what do you define as making progress? The reason I ask this is because progress is anything, weightlifting in particular, that can come in many forms. While the most obvious is how much you have improved your PR by, there are other measuring sticks. How is your strength improved? What about your positions in the lifts? Has your technical proficiency improved under heavier loads? Are you more consistent with lifts above 80%? How close are you to your PRs when you push for those heavy attempts, and how consistent are you at that number? How has your meet performance gone since being under this new coach? Have you been hitting more lifts on the platform? Has your total improved? Or has your mean performance overall gotten better as you go? These are all valid questions that on the surface, not all lifters focus on, especially the newer ones. But the longer you are involved in a technical sport like throwing or weightlifting, the objective goals like PRs and totals are important, but you have to start looking elsewhere to continue to make improvements. At the end of the day, the sum of all parts is what will lead to the biggest change and the highest rate of progress. So these are things you actually need to ask yourself. Second, When you decided to work with this coach, did you have a conversation and lay out what exactly you were looking for? If not, you might want to do that. Coaches are some magical beings, but unfortunately, we haven't unlocked the secrets of reading minds yet. Just like a coach can't adjust your program if they don't know if you're injured, they can't make adjustments to meet goals if they haven't been verbalized. So if there is a lack of communication on your part in that department, you can't fault the coach for working with what is at their disposal information-wise. Third, in reference to your friend. I like to call that shiny object syndrome. It may look like they're making a ton of progress, but how do you know that they aren't just posting the highlight reel? Unfortunately, a lot of folks do that, and the trials and tribulations get thrown into a dark closet, never to be spoken of again. So make sure you get the full story before you jump ship and end up with buyer's remorse. Hopefully that helps answer your question, and if not, send me some more details and let's get this one sorted. Oh, P.S. If you decide to leave said coach, please make sure to put your big boy pants on and have an honest conversation with them. This is a small community and we all talk. So if you lie about your reasons for leaving, that will eventually get back to them. This is a whole other topic for a top of the show. But I have nothing but respect for athletes who have an open, honest conversation and say, hey, this isn't working for me. I want to try something else as opposed to making up some bogus excuse that reeks of B.S. So please don't be that guy. If you are genuinely not making progress, your coach already knows this, if they're a good coach, and a good coach wants the best for you. They may be sad to see you go, but more importantly, a good coach will want to see you succeed and will understand, so just have the conversation with them. Now, let's get the show on the road, so give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! Welcome to Strength Agenda Radio. My guest today is probably one of the smartest, strongest guys I know. uh, I don't know a ton of people, but I know enough people. Um, Met the guy on Highland Games Circuit last year. uh, Started talking shop. He has a passion for weightlifting. He's a track guy. Uh, He's a fellow uh, weightlifting and and, and strength and conditioning nerd, as well as a really cool guy and a now a professional on the Highland Games Circuit. My guest today is Zach Riley. Zach, what's going on, brother?
1: Um, in my lab at work trying to act nerdy. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what you text me. You're like, hold on, I'm at work. Let me go to my lab for some privacy. I'm like, all right, you do you. All right, so Zach, for, um, for people who aren't aware who you are or anything along those lines, uh, give us a little bit of background. Like what sports did you participate in? High school, college, uh, post-collegiate? Like what do you do now um, for work and stuff like that? And obviously, like I already mentioned, you're in the Highland Games on the professional circuit now. Just give us a little bit of background information on yourself.
1: All right. Well, I grew up in southern Indiana and uh, kind of non-traditional route for a big guy. I grew up playing soccer. Um, That's that's right.
0: I remember you telling me that.
1: Yeah. And all the way up until really high school was uh, that was all I thought I would do, all I wanted to do. And then um, continued to grow out and uh, so took up football and really enjoyed that had a passion for it and then um my senior year of high school uh after quitting baseball and just getting tired of that i decided to come out and throw for track and uh through the shot put um i believe i threw 53.8 my first year out of the glide and uh it just so happened that my father had emailed the track coach at ball state university and said, Hey, my son's coming there for school. And, um, he's only done track one year. You think he could walk on and try it out. And yeah, of course, they were game for whatever. And, uh, so I went to ball state and my freshman year in track, I threw, I don't know, low fifties in the shot put. And then they, of course, um, wanted to introduce me to other events. so. Of course it did. Yeah, so I threw, I think, 120 in the discus and uh, 126 or something in the hammer and got last in the Mac conference meet in the hammer.
0: Uh, no, hold on, so to, give, then, the, to give people a visual, Zach is not built for discus at all. Uh, you're what, 5'10"? Five, five, 5'10 five, and a half. Yeah, uh, and he's about five ten, width wise as well. Um, <laughs> not what you would consider an excellent uh, build for a discus thrower. Um, yet you make implements like the lightweight for distance and all that thrower. So I'm not really shocked that discus wasn't like a a mainstay in, in your throwing though. All right, sorry, <laughs> continue.
1: Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> so yeah, so then my sophomore year, I um, just decided to start figuring things out on my own. We never really had any coaching for a division one university. We always had graduate assistants that, um, I mean, bless their heart. They tried, but they didn't really know what they were doing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, I watched the, the videos that you'd find on the geo cities websites and, um, (laughs) before YouTube. Oh yeah. Before YouTube. Um, waiting ten minutes for it to load and watch a five-second clip and then wait ten more minutes to load and uh, yeah. So then sophomore year I went from 126 in the hammer to 196 in the hammer.
0: Uh, that's that's an improvement.
1: Yeah, sophomore year and then uh, won the MAC title there and then won it again junior senior year in the hammer. Uh, I ended up throwing around 170 in the disc and around oh, i don't remember what i threw in the shot put. i know post collegiate i threw 57 in the shot put just playing around nice um and i threw 177 in the disc is playing around post collegiate but uh but yeah so went to ncaa's all american a couple times and then um stayed on as a graduate assistant strength conditioning coach at ball state yeah well Pursuing my master's in biomechanics, mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, ended up continuing to throw and threw through the Olympic trials in 2004.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, and then literally the week after the Olympic trials, I flew back from Sacramento in 2004. I packed up a U-Haul and I drove out to Colorado to start my PhD.
0: Nice. Talk about so, talk about the GA or. Yeah, graduate assistant at Ball State, because I've heard this on other podcasts, and it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was Ball State, where you had like a who's who of people that were in that program with you at the same time, Compa- like oh, yeah. comparatively now. So talk about that a little bit, because that, that interests the, the hell out of me, because people like when they do these graduate internships and things like that, like they just don't think about where somebody's going to end up, you know, five, ten years from that point. And like, I I think it was on Mark Valenny's podcast. You were talking about all the, the the, the couple of guys that were in the program the same time you were. And it's really astonishing all the guys that have come out of that program at Ball State.
1: Yeah. We just had, you know, I attribute a lot to, we had a really strong collegiate powerlifting team. Okay. And then when I got really strong, I started training with them some and, um, and then carried on in. And we had like Matt winning who, uh, one of the greatest powerlifters and runs Jim out of Columbus, Ohio. Um, he's still a good buddy of mine to this day, but he's done really well for himself. And
0: Right.
1: Um, Julia Ledusky, Um We had Pete Bomarito, who runs a performance, uh, Bomarito Performance Systems, okay. I think, out of Florida.
0: Yeah, probably one of the most sought-out like NFL combine prep guys. Like, every yeah, time
1: I – we had Mike Robertson, who runs IFast, a gym out of Indy. Um, he's done a bunch of stuff with Eric Cressy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just had a it. It was a random circumstance of a lot of people that were strong and also very intelligent that you know were focused on the same things. And then, That's awesome. just like you said, that who would have known? You know, 10, 15 years later you have quite the fraternity that you've built up so yeah
0: absolutely and it was um, obviously unintentional it's not like ball state went out and recruited those guys you know you and all those guys for that program it's just how it all ended up that you all ended up in the same place at the same time exactly so you're out in colorado doing your phd and stuff like that like talk about what you do you know on the professional side of things cuz the first time you told me i had i had to like google it like to <laughs> to figure out what exactly you did like you're into this, you're into some like heavy stuff academically
1: yeah so i uh i got my phd in neurophysiology um kind of a branch of of neuroscience and then uh i moved to northwestern um downtown chicago and did a postdoc fellowship in biomedical engineering and worked with spinal cord injury um regaining hand and arm function and spinal cord injury and then uh Applied for faculty positions, got on at IUPUI in Indianapolis, um, which basically, to give your listeners a little tidbit, so there's Indiana University, which everyone knows for the basketball. Right. And we are the Indiana University branch that actually has the medical campus. Nice. So we don't have basketball, but we have the smart people.
0: There you go. You got all the smart guys there.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, no, so I've been a professor since 2009. Um, just live in the academia life, man. I uh, teach a couple classes a semester and um, do research and have PhD students and master students under me and uh, and love it. It's yeah. my world.
0: You're also an avid cat person. You're now become crazy cat guy. I think you got your sixth cat. I saw that on social media the other day. Yeah. I'm not a cat, which I find ironic because you were telling me some of like the experiments and stuff that you guys were doing. And I I don't mean experiments like nuclear testing type stuff, but like when you were working on like the spinal cord injuries and stuff like that, like you guys would, you know, do your research and stuff on, you know, uh, uh, cats and uh, and animals and like lab rats and stuff like that. Correct. Yeah. We, uh, uh,
1: I can't say this around my own house cuz I swear they all look at me sideways but um but we gave cats spinal cord injuries because it was the model we used because we could actually study the spinal cord invasively yeah, and yeah. um so we would do experiments in the medical school at Northwestern on cats and then do analog type experiments on on humans over in the uh at the Rehabilitation Institute of right, Chicago right. so Um, that's all yeah that was my world but uh kind of got into the cat collecting
0: yeah
1: i guess you could call it that but hey man you have a 10 year old daughter who's your world and
0: yeah she says she
1: wants another cat you don't resist very long Oh,
0: absolutely absolutely so so obviously, like you're big on the, the 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 science behind stuff in terms of the human body and how it you know repairs and grows and stuff like that. How has that affected how you train and compete and stuff like that now, like especially like in the Highland Games and things along those lines?
1: Well, I think the ironic part is it's actually made it simpler.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think we are inherently very good at overthinking everything. Agreed. And, um, you know, the body. I think the big thing that's always neglected is exercise is a stress,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you need the proper amounts of stress, but you need the proper amounts of recovery from that stress. Right. And we are very good at sciencing the stress, and then not very good at sciencing the recovery.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that a lot. Every. I, I, I don't know how many times I run into a lifter or, or even a lifter of my own or another lifter and stuff like that. And even I'll fall into this trap all the time where it's like, oh, man, like I missed a training session. Like I got to make that up or it's like the more is less like I didn't get you know a great workout or I don't know how many times like newer lifters that I start working with will be like, well, I had a really bad workout. Can I redo it? It's like, no, that's not that's not how this (laughs) works out. I've never done that. I've never done the redoing part, but I've been like, like yesterday was a prime example. Like I had a whole workout planned out, but I had to go do some stuff and I didn't get a chance to get it done early in the morning like I like to. So I was going to do it afterwards. And after looking at the plan, how I was feeling, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Like I went in and just did the biggest bang for my buck pieces of the whole workout that I was supposed to be, that I wrote out for myself like weeks ago, got it done, got out, and, you know, that was it. It took me about 45 minutes to get it done. But I feel like people, yeah, I, I would agree 100% that people don't focus on the flip side of the training in terms of what you're doing to make sure you're ready to go for the next session.
1: And and I think the reason for that inherently, because that's not a moneymaker.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Right? Yeah.
1: You know, programming is a moneymaker. Recovery is yeah.
0: not. No. Well, So. yeah, yeah. Well, now, now people are making boatloads of money off of it, all these like repackaging old ideas as, you yeah. know, like, like there's all these cryotherapy places popping up <laughs> and I was just like, hold on, hold on. You just literally jump in it. Like I, I use cryotherapy. I love it. It, it makes me feel, I, I, I don't notice as much of the pain, you know, like the, the reduction in pain, you know, like uh, acute pain, like side effects from it. I just, I sleep, I sleep better Yeah. the night the, the, the night I get it done. Um. That's the biggest thing I've noticed. So, but like all these people that'll do like the cryotherapy things now, and now they have like these recovery rooms and where you literally will pay money to go into these rooms and they have all sorts of little gadgets and toys and stuff like that. And it's stuff you could do on your own. You're just lazy and you'd rather pay somebody to do it for you while you sit there. Or the, exactly. the Ramwad the thing. The Ramwad thing, holy, I don't know. Do, do you know what Ramwad is? Yeah. So I have a subscription. I've been using it for, God, I think I'm going on like three years using it now. And that was one thing when it first came out. um, It was one of those like, I'm like, this guy's a genius. Like my wife and I had kind of talked about doing something similar. um, But it's just one of those things like we're like, people just don't care. Like they don't want to do yoga. You mentioned the word yoga and they're like, this is stupid. And then Ramwad came on. I had a subscription and I'm going through it. My wife is a certified yoga instructor. And She's looking at some of these poses. She goes, yeah, this is yoga. I was like, well, I, I kind of figured it was, but it's that accountability factor. If I have a little like 15, 20 minute video that I play and it forces me to stretch. Yep. And, but like when you would start talking to people, they're like, no, 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 this isn't yoga. This is different. And I'm like, no, this is yoga. Like you literally are doing the same poses you would do in a yoga class. It's just structured slightly different. And so it's just really interesting to me to watch that circular, um, you know, pattern of things just coming back around that were like cool back at one point and then they died off and then they came back. Like I'm kind of waiting to see how long it takes before something like a ROMWOD or like a cryotherapy or I think the float tanks are the new thing, which I haven't really uh, done yet. Like how long those last before, you know, they have a little bit of a dip or a drop off.
1: Yeah, that's the, you know, it's funny because I love ice baths.
0: Oh I, yeah, I, I, I'm a big contrast bath person. Like our guy in college, um, we had two big th- those two big like metal tanks in the training room, and we would fill one up with hot water, one would up with cold water, and we'd go back and forth between the two. You know, after really crappy training sessions and stuff like this. So I, I grew up on that stuff. I'm with you. I like ice baths, but a lot of people don't because <laughs> they suck. Well, they do suck. Just put some <laughs> just just put some music on and just deal with it. Get get a drink in your hand. and It's just like paradise. So. You're talking about you know the, the the stressors and and the recovery and stuff like that. Like, how do you structure your training then, um, in, in to make sure that you prepare uh, or that you, I'm sorry that you repair the body enough? Like we were talking about earlier before we started recording. You recently tore your bicep, and you're doing a bunch of things like that. Like how how do you structure your training that allows you to you know keep coming back for more time after time after time?
1: Well, I think there's. You know, there's some key factors. I think uh, number one being what's the the sport you're doing it for. Right. Um, you know, I I always tell people my training has not changed in the last three years. Yeah. Um, the, you know, volume and sets and reps and that kind of stuff and intensity changes some. But, um, you know, the, the general structure has never changed. And the reason for that is um, with the number of injuries I've had and everything else, the goal is to, the goal is to get my reps in on the field Mm -hmm. and then have enough gas built up from the weight room to pour on those reps on the field. Right. And to do that, I stick with, you know, like you had already said, the bang for your buck movements. You know, it's, um, it's very simple for me. What helps me is snatching, front squatting, um, and some overhead press. I know those are my money makers, so um, I don't deviate from those. No um, It's It is That's boring.
0: Not... Oh, absolutely. But,
1: but I like boring and yeah. I can do boring every day and it doesn't bother me, right? Um, But that again, I'm in a position where <clears throat> How do I say this so you know, I'm in a position where I don't monetize anything. I do, um, training and helping people so I can have my set theories and they work on myself and I don't really go outside of those much.
0: Right.
1: Uh, I stay in my lane, I guess you could say, cause I don't have to go outside of them much. And, yeah. um, you know, for instance, you know, I know you like deadlifting and there's a lot of guys in Highland games that like deadlifting. Yeah. Uh, deadlifting wrecks me. I mean, yeah. it just, it wrecks Con, my, I've
0: had. Conventional oh. re- conventional wrecks me. I used to be super anti-sumo. And then the guy, Jack Hamber, that I work with now, uh, May of last year, I started working with him and he was just like, we're going to switch you to sumo. He goes, it's going to allow you to, you know, deadlift more and, and recover better between sessions. And by God, he was right. And that's a, yeah, I, I always preface it because people are like, go, oh, you do a lot of deadlifting. I'm like, I do a lot of sumo deadlifting. You don't see me posting conventional too much because like you, I get destroyed by heavy conventional deadlifts.
1: Yeah. So it, it is, it is not beneficial for me to push that yeah. envelope, but yet I can load up, you know, 170 kilos and do snatch high pulls. And that doesn't bother me. Right. Yeah so you know i'm getting a lot of the same stimuli uh through those routes and you know i'm also very much of a um i'm definitely an auto regulator in that if i go in on a day and and things aren't moving well i don't care like i won't push it
0: yeah
1: um i don't really write out my workouts i know i should i should journal a little better keep track of things but um
0: yeah keep a diary zach
1: yeah i know uh, that's why Instagram has been nice for tracking throws and stuff, because it's been, you know, I always joke with people that like, this is the first time I've ever documented anything I've ever done. And, uh, that's funny. And it's helpful for myself just getting better. Um, <laughs> right. Cause back when we threw previously, when I threw, unless you're going to have a VHS c tape, um, you oh, wow. we weren't going to record much. So, yeah, but, uh, but no, so my my training Mondays usually a snatch, and heavy front squat, um, and then some reverse hypers. Uh, maybe some hamstring work, but I tend to not do a lot of accessories. I tend to do more. I'll do a ton of sets of snatch and a ton of sets of front squat, and that's my yeah. That's my workout. Um, and then depending on how my back's feeling on Tuesday, I'll usually do some light clean pulls and then heavy overhead press. Uh, Wednesday, I do nothing but sprint drills and more of the GPP yeah. just to get my body moving. Because uh, that is one thing I've noticed as I get older is the um, I need to focus more on the sprints in different planes of movement.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, Cause I I definitely am not as athletic as I used to be in that realm, um, but yeah. Then it kind of depends. Thursday's usually another snatch and front squat day, and then Friday uh, I don't know. It heck if there's a hot girl in the gym, I might do some biceps. But there you go. Um, that's how. That's how loose it is at that point. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. So you, you keep mentioning that you do a lot of snatching and stuff like that. And that was one thing that intrigued me when I first met you is because there's a lot of older, I guess, old school, like lifters and stuff like that, that don't do a ton of the Olympic lifts. And your technique isn't bad. Um, as a weightlifting coach, I could always help you make it better, but um, <laughs> it's not bad. So what is, what, how, who introduced the lifts to you? Like, uh, where did you get that, that that tool to add to your kit? In terms of snatching for your throwing and stuff along those lines. like was well, that something you always did in college or did you recently add that? Like where did that, you know, um, introduction come from?
1: Well, you know, again, from Ball State, we were more of a powerlifting yeah. uh strength conditioning program. So we did tons of Yeah, you know, I had a huge squat in college and back squat and uh what was it? What's that? What was it? Oh, uh, I think I did seven thirty in just a belt that's really um, weighing about 230. Damn, dude. So, that was a I remember one workout doing 10 singles with a minute rest at 600 on the back squat. Wow. That's, that's
0: and impressive. that
1: was that was like, "Hey, let's just do this." Okay. Yeah. Why not?
0: <laughs> why why not? Yeah.
1: Yeah, at 21 years old, that seems like a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah. but <clears throat> So the snatches kind of came about a little bit on my own because I, uh, when I started post collegiate throwing, I was doing more of my own, obviously my own training and writing up my own programs and, you know, reading a lot of the old Russian stuff, they were doing, uh, quick step ups and, and snatch high pulls from the hip with a quick reset. And, uh, you know just a lot of jump squats stuff like that and so yeah. i started incorporating a lot more of that and what i found is just that uh hang snatches just really seemed to translate translate well to my throwing yeah so <clears throat> i could hit at the hip crease i felt like i was in a strong position um and they were just a fun challenge and uh right right so that's so why. You, I mean, really, again, rhyme yeah. or reason, I'd like to say uh, I want to be a great weightlifter, but I don't really care. I just like doing them, and, and I can go down twice a week and snatch heavy and enjoy it. So,
0: Well, I um, will say this. I've, I've seen videos of you snatching like 120, 130, and there are quite a bit of supers that can't catch a power snatch as high as you do, so you're, you're on the right path. I've never seen you clean a jerk, but... <laughs> Um, I, yeah, would, I would have enjoyed
1: it. And I would most of all, like we've talked about already is that yeah. I can do that and then go out, you know, yeah. six hours later after work and have a hard throwing session. Yeah. Like, yeah,
0: the snatch does not destroy the body as much as other lifts and stuff like that. So what is your take on the, the thought of um, the thought process behind why or why not more college programs don't incorporate like the snatch in particular? Like, you see a lot of programs that do a lot of the cleans and things like that, but I'm on the same you know thought process as you. Is um, Any athletes that walk through our door, whether they're you know sports performance or they're for the weightlifting, like, I want to teach them this. We teach them the snatch first. The clean's not that hard to teach, in my opinion, um, but the snatch doesn't wreck the body as much as the clean does. So why do you think it is that a lot of college programs don't teach their athletes to snatch?
1: Because uh, a lot of the coaches don't know how to teach it.
0: Okay, that's a fair enough answer. Unfortunately,
1: now, I mean, and it's humbling, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. What Division One stud athlete wants to go in and have twenty fives on the bar and be struggling with it?
0: That's you know, a really so. good point. So, <laughs> so, so, so you're saying it's just it's, it's simply just a matter of ego. Like the the snatch is not a good ego lift. for yeah, for it, for, it, both, it, for both the coaches and the and, and the and the athletes
1: exactly and you and I have both seen the the football player that can load up 225 on a clean and do the ugliest form yeah. of clean you've ever seen but yeah. then they jump up and down and hoot and holler and
0: yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's, so. yeah it, it is what it is so fast forward now like like I mentioned earlier you recently tore your bicep we started talking about this. And you were giving me like your timetable to get back in action and all that stuff. And you're pretty much attributing your timetable to the way your body trains. You had a great um, uh, analogy for how you compared your body. And I want to kind of dive into that a little bit in the science um, end of things and kind of just talk about um, how you can train your body to recover better, like with with, with how, how your training can affect your, your ability to recover I um, just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. So um, h- how do you think that works or how do you think you can train your body to recover Betty through your training methodology, your protocol, stuff along those lines?
1: Well, I, I think the most important thing, and again, it's overlooked the most, is everything I do is consistent.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, from meals to sleep to the training, um, I... I don't even stress that much in my regular life. Like yeah. I don't have, there's just no ups and downs. Yeah. So I'm on an even keel all the time. So I can, I can expect things from my body and my body delivers. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of tough because, you know, like with progressive overload and everything else with weightlifting and everything you, you want to introduce new stressors and all these things. Well, again, for the sake of say weightlifting, sure. Uh, for the sake of translating that to a sport, I don't know that that's always the best method, right? Right, Because, you know, what we're looking at is consistency over time. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm 38, I'll be 39 soon. And I, I don't, I don't kid myself into thinking that I've got this perfect machine that's working great. You know, I've had tons of surgeries. I've, I've, I've learned these things through mistakes. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the hard part trying to teach a 23 year old that seems indestructible is, uh,
0: absolutely. you know, I was in
1: great shape a month ago when I tore my bicep. I,
0: yeah,
1: I thought, you know, I was money. Everything was going great for the season and then boom, it just happens. Um, but I stay the course and uh nothing really changes. You know, I I didn't you know, my wife <clears throat> we have very different personalities and yeah. uh she's quite fiery. So, she's very emotional and very um and it's a wonderful thing. Like I I love it because she's the the yin to my yang, but she's a she's very emotional, takes things hard, but also, you know, loves hard, all those things. Yeah. And I'm just very uh, ne- neither up nor down and when this happened um, it didn't really change much for me
0: yeah
1: right it didn't change I didn't go into a hole and and start drinking and my diet didn't go to shit and I didn't you know it was it was like all right so let's let's tailor the plan to get back now
0: yeah
1: and um and part of that was finding the best surgeon I could luckily I I had a good surgeon I already knew
0: yeah
1: um you know, doing the right things that I knew to do, um, you know, from my own clinical uh, professional expertise, I guess. And then um, really, again, not pouring any more emotion into it than I had to.
0: Right. So, so so for somebody dealing with, like, an injury, something like that, like a ruptured muscle or, you know, tendon or, or a torn muscle, ruptured tendon, stuff along those lines, what are just, like, some, some things that... You could tell them that they can start doing right away to kind of because in this day and age, like, you know, there's there's PT, there's surgery, there's all these like these, these these like top end medical things. But there's a ton of stuff now that is starting to come out that like research has shown you can do on your own to kind of help speed up the process. Like my, my point is we have athletes and just humans in general recovering at lightning fast rates from pretty catastrophic injuries. Like I remember when an Achilles injury was a year, no questions asked. Like you tore your Achilles and now we have athletes that are, you know, eight months coming back from it. Same thing with an ACL. Like you have football players who will like tear their ACLs in like a preseason. And then by the time the playoffs come around, like they're good to go. Um, Like what are just some things that like are starting to come to light, maybe through your research and stuff like that, that you're, you're seeing and, 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 you know, putting out there that, that athletes and people can just start doing right away to help themselves get back on the field core, back to the job site, you know, faster than like these timetables that you know doctors give them and stuff like that.
1: Well, I think the number one thing is blood flow. Yeah, um, I think we we're stuck in this mindset of when, like, say, post surgery. Well, you have to keep it immobilized. Well, you know, in the case of like the bicep tear, um, yes, I don't want to re rupture it um, for sure. But the the real dangerous is fully extending my arm. So if I stay in a certain amount of flexion, the goal is I want to move it as much as I can in that limited range of motion to keep blood flow. Yeah, And, you know, people don't think even in recovery of muscles, I mean, blood flow is king. You know, blood flow is is nutrient delivery, oxygen delivery. Um, Again, as we talk about the stress and then the repair side of things. So, you know, I get yelled at by my wife because I don't wear my stationary mechanical brace all that much. Cause honestly, I feel a hundred times worse when I wear it. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm constantly trying to move it, constantly trying to keep blood flow to it. Um, again, haven't changed my diet. So I know, uh, nutritionally I'm still sound. um, you know, otherwise I think the, the misnomer that we have to guard and protect things, right? You know, we're kind of leaving that a little bit and starting to take a more active, proactive approach, I guess. Yeah, I, w-
0: I would agree with that 100%. Like, two things that come to mind in terms of talking blood flow is stimulants. Um, like, I know Matt Vincent, for instance, right after he had his ACL surgery, um, <clears throat> or one of his ACL surgeries, he had, you know, his stimulus slapped on his knee and it wasn't going crazy, but he just had enough stimulation that it was getting the blood flowing, get the juices flowing in that knee and stuff like that to kind of help. And then the other thing, which I think is a forgotten art, which this again kind of goes back to my point about things that get forgotten and all that stuff, is like voodoo flossing. Um I I am constantly amazed. Like if I have an athlete with like a stiff joint or a tight muscle or just you know just an achy muscle, crank a cranky muscle. Um, I have like a, my, my other coach and I, we have like this huge collection of voodoo floss bands from these different companies that send them to us and we'll go say, go grab me one of the bands out of my, out of my box in the in the office and they'll come back and I'm like, have you ever done a voodoo floss before? And they're like, no, um, for tendonitis, like they're phenomenal stuff like that. And you just, you wrap the band as tightly as possible and they can either, if you wrap it super tight, they can just stand there. They don't have to actually do anything, yeah. or you can try to move them through certain ranges of motion. You do it for about two or three minutes, and then they take the band off, and all the, you can do, literally feel all the blood rushing back through there. Oh, yeah. So the
1: reperfusion is the key there.
0: Yeah, right. So for something like, you know, your bicep tear, would one of those work better than the other, or would those both be something that you could employ or somebody could employ? Now, keep in mind, folks, we are not giving out medical, like, we are not medical professionals. We are just talking you know, theoretically speaking on things that could potentially help people get back on the field. We are not, I'm not a physical therapist. You're a scientist. You're yeah, you are a freaking doctor with this stuff, but I am not. I'm just <laughs> making observations on, based on stuff that I see. But something like a, a, a torn muscle or something like that, do one of those things you think would work better than the other? Or do you think they both would work, you know, well in their own rights? I think they
1: all work well. I think it's just kind of the stage of recovery that you're at. Right. Um, you know, something I started doing two weeks post-op was... Uh, So they take um, clamps and they separate the forearm muscles so they can drill in the forearm bone to drill your tendon back in. Well, one of the the most painful things is my forearm muscles are very tight and there's scar tissue built up from where they separated those. So uh, something I've done is just getting bag balm and every night after I shower, I massage that forearm out.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's, you know... manual manipulation or, um, via activity with blood flow, you know, the forgotten art, you know, like inflammation is a good thing. We want inflammation, right? It it is what protects and heals a joint. Then we want to clear it out. And then we want new inflammation to come in and then clear it out. And over time, that's what heals the joint. So anything that we can do, whether it's manual, whether it's, you know, voodoo flossing, um, you know, whatever we can do, that process is going to accelerate the healing, at least of a soft tissue, you know, injury, whether it's connective, tendon, ligament, or you know, muscle. So, um, they all work. They're all yeah. They're all tools in the toolbox. And you know, like your goal as a gym owner is to know as many of the have as many of those tools as you can, right? And then be able to employ them on a case by case basis. Right. And, I think you do that pretty well. So yeah,
0: I think it's. I think thanks. I appreciate that. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the whole like inflammation is a good thing because that was one thing when I first started getting into like weightlifting, like super competitively. There was a lot of talk about like don't take NSAIDs for inflammation. Um, and then now there's starting to be a lot of research that like it doesn't actually help with inflammation and help with like, you know, feeling better. It just it blocks the pain messengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and doesn't allow the body to gather or build up that inflammation and stuff like this. So I find that really interesting that we're starting to hear more stuff about, you know, like I said, it just, things just come and go. Like, you know, first it was like take ibuprofen, uh, you know, at the side of a sore muscle. Now it's like, don't take ibuprofen. And who knows, we'll come back to like take this super duper ibuprofen, you know, a couple of years from now or things along those lines. So. What are you doing now that, like, obviously you can't use your arm? Um, Like, I, I've always, I operate on the philosophy with, with my athletes. Whenever they get injured, the number one pet peeve of mine is when they disappear. Um, I have, you know, I had a particular gentleman. Um, He's got a sports hernia right now. Uh, just kind of a combination of the training and work and stuff like that. He had a sports hernia, and then he disappeared for, like, a week and a half. Part of it was he was on a vacation for, like, four or five days. But then the other, like, four or five days, like, I just, I didn't see him. And I finally texted him, and I'm like, where are you? And he's like, Oh, well, you know, my hip and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, come in because I can we can train everything else that doesn't affect your hip. Like so he's doing a lot of upper body work, he's doing a lot of core and back work and he's doing some posterior chain stuff and things like that. So I'm a big proponent of train like train what you can, like train around your injury and stuff like that. Is that a similar thing that you're employing now? And like do you recommend that for athletes that are dealing with injury? Like is there any research I guess what my point is, is there any research that helps um show that continuing to train around an injury will actually help increase you know or increase the recovery time or uh, decrease the recovery time
1: oh definitely i mean it's you know any uh systemic stimulation elevation heart rate from training anything is going to push more blood flow around the body and is going to accelerate the healing process and i think the the other neglected part of this is uh, the emotional and, and mental standpoint. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like athletic trainers. When you have an injured athlete, you still want them to come hang out with the team. Why? Because you want them to feel that that sense of self with the team. And, right, um, right, right. You know, so an important thing for me was just get back in the gym. Yeah. And, um, and right now, I mean, I, I just do safety bar squats. And really, I don't do a whole lot else. But if I can get in and do <laughs> – like the other day, I, I came in and did two hours of squatting. That was it. Um, you know, scientifically, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, but emotionally and mentally, it uh, I felt so good for the next like two days after that.
0: Yeah.
1: Because um, it felt normal. And, right. 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 And normal to me is is exactly where I want to be right now. So absolutely. Um. But yeah, anything you can do training around an injury is, you know, any elevation of heart rate is going to accelerate the process. Again, the 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 great lie of all time was you have to you have to totally rest. Yes. Well, total rest, you know,
0: it is awfully slow to heal in total rest. Right, right? that's that you that know, was that was the big argument. I wouldn't say argument. That was the big thing we were trying to stress, especially to the parents of some of our younger athletes that we had athletes who would like roll their ankle or sprain their ankle or break a finger and they're like, they're, they are like they they can not come in to train. We're going to have to. And I'm like, no, get them in here. There's a ton of stuff that we can still do not involving the injured area. Um, like it, it'll be limited in terms of exercise selection, but like, and then like, well, sure enough, we had one girl in particular, she had a really bad uh, uh, ankle, uh, sprained ankle or something along those lines. And she came in and, you know, a couple of days later, we're getting messages from the mom be like, Oh my God, her disposition, her attitude is so much better now that she's back in the gym <laughs> working out around all the other kids and stuff like that. And yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I, we've been trying to say that for, you know, it, it, it's, it's a struggle for us to talk to parents and other coaches about that because that's their first solution. As soon as a huge injury or uh, occurs, they're like, nope, you're done. Like just sit out. Don't do anything till you're a hundred percent. And. It's not like you said, I'm a big proponent of the mental side of things. Like, you just want to be around like minded people. And even if you're just sitting there talking to them and watching them, like, that's better than you sitting at home, like playing on YouTube or Xbox or watching TV or something like that. Yeah, precisely. (laughs) All right. So, if you had any advice for, you know, 21 year old Zach, you, 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 to give him like three pieces of advice to maximize your potential or, or any athlete, so, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, whatever. Um, you or any other athlete, like what are three things that you would kind of give them to, to, to help maximize, you know, what they could achieve both inside the weight room and outside of the weight room and whatever they're doing?
1: So first of all, uh, I think put yourself in a competitive atmosphere. Um, I think that when I got to Ball State, I had a group of teammates and, and in particular a roommate, Brian Troxell, who ended up being a, Mac champion in the javelin two years, but, uh, but we were insanely competitive, um, from the standpoint of who was going to finish higher, who was going to have more wins, who was, you know, and that, that, what the rising tide raises all ships, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, that was a big part of it for me. So I needed to be in that environment as a youngster. Uh, to push myself. So I'd say that's number one, get yourself around like-minded individuals that are also competitive. Nice. Um, Number two, whatever you're doing, um, whether it's whatever training program you're doing, just do it. Quit questioning everything. um, Quit trying to make everything better. Just do it, especially at that young age. Um, Because let's be honest, it, As long as you're not getting hurt, you're going to advance. You're going to improve. Um, And then the last one, which is really funny, because I don't think most people would say this, but I never had coaching. And it made me much more um, introspective and made me do a lot more self-evaluation. And I developed skills. For example, I always tell people in Highland games, it's I know where my body is. Right. um someone can tell me hey you need to do this one little thing i can implement it on the next throw and you'll see an improvement um it's because i never had someone spoon-feeding me all my coaching right. and i think that right. you see people that have come up in different environments say with a lot of coaching and handholding and they constantly need that that feedback and oversight and um they never really develop skills on their own. And I think it's a real discredit to, you know, trying to improve, as, especially when you get older and, you know, you don't always want to pay for coaching. You don't always want to rely on someone else and, you know, learn yourself, dive into your own reading and, and, you know, figuring out your own body and, and figure out what works. Um, I think that stuff's really important. So, yeah,
0: that's, <clears throat> that's that's interesting that that last point in particular because that's one of the things um that I'm finding now with my athletes is um they don't want to be led sometimes to the answer. They want to be told the answer. Yeah. And <clears throat> like our unofficial tagline at the gym is we're going to hold you accountable, not hold your hand. Um, and we try to get the athletes to do a little bit, like, cause I'll have athletes come up to me and be like, okay, I'm trying to hit this today. What should my jumps be? I'm like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Like, what did you just hit? I'm like, what do you think is a reasonable jump? And they'll tell me, I'm like, all right, let's try it. Like, and that's not the answer that they want. So I I really like that last point a lot because I definitely think that is something that, especially nowadays, like everybody could be in, in this age of technology in this age of now, they want that answer now and sometimes they don't want to do the, the, the research or they don't want to do the work to get to that answer on their own they'd rather just have some have somebody hand it to them and say okay i got it on to the next task and i definitely agree with that That i think that uh, a little bit more self-discovery and i'm not saying because obviously i make my living off of coaching people i'm not saying get rid of coaches um i'm just saying find the right coach find the right coach that's gonna push you um outside your comfort zone from time to time i'm constantly making my athletes uncomfortable you know in terms of their training And things that they're doing, like, I'll get messaged, like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, that's great. I didn't ask if you wanted to do it. Like, it's going to make you better. Like, at least give it a shot. My whole thing is, like, at least give something a shot because I'm one of those that I don't do. make my athletes do stuff that I either haven't done or I'm not willing to test out myself. So I will test out workouts and stuff that I write for certain athletes before I give them to them to see, you know, does this do anything? Does this help? And stuff like this. I really like especially that last point. But all three of those are really good, solid points. Okay. So we're going to take a break and then we're going to go on in the lightning round. Uh, a bunch of random questions about nothing. You ready? Yep. Do you cringe every time you look back at your old snatch videos? Or do you, you know you are just one training session away from tweaking something because your snatch is just so out of control? Or maybe you're pretty decent at it, but you just know you could be better. Stop trying to muscle it and just fix it. How you ask? Head to snatch.thestrengthagenda.com and sign up for my free challenge 30 days to a better snatch. Every day, I'll send you some drills and exercises to incorporate as part of your warm-up. With just 10 to 15 minutes a day, you'll work on creating a smoother, less technically flawed snatch. In my own test and tests among some of my lifters, the side-by-side video comparisons have been insane. So stop struggling and set the foundation for a snatch PR. snatch.thestrengthagenda.com and subscribe to the challenge now. Okay. Lightning round time. Um, questions have nothing to do with absolutely anything. They're just random questions. We did a poll during the first season. Um, these were a bunch of the questions that we got, and then my wife and I found some awesome ones online. Um, and it, this is just this is just the fun part. People really love these responses and stuff like that. We'll kind of start easy, and we'll kind of work our way up to some more uh, thought-provoking questions. We'll just oh. go with that, okay? okay? So first off, first off, um, who's going to win in a fight? Spider-Man or Batman?
1: Oh, man. Spider-Man's a punk. Um, I, man, I think they both suck, so I don't really care. Um,
0: That's the first response like that I've ever gotten, and I am okay with it.
1: Yeah, they're they're both punks. Batman's just rich and worthless, and Spider-Man's, yeah. So, neither. They're all going to die in a big superhero war, so.
0: There you go. There you go. Neither, because Zach doesn't care. I love it. (laughs) Power Rangers. Which one was your favorite, dude?
1: Oh, dude, I'm too old for Power Rangers.
0: You got kids? I know you paid attention when they were when your kids watched them, or or did they? Or or, or, or did did they miss that? Young
1: for Power Rangers, and I'm too old for Power Rangers. Oh,
0: so you're in that nice little sweet spot. All right, we'll skip that question. We'll add another question in. All (laughs) right, moving on a little bit more challenging stuff. You Got a map of the United States, fifty states. All right, each state is like a little button. You get to go ahead and push a button, and that state disappears forever. What state are you eliminating from the United States and why? Oh,
1: that one's easy. Um, Well, I'm not eliminating the state of California. I'm eliminating all the people. And I'm (laughs) taking all the people in Tennessee because I think Tennessee people are the nicest people in the world. And I'm moving them out to California.
0: Oh, okay. So you're doing like some old Indian reservation type.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're relocating because I actually like the state of California. I just don't like the people.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a, it's a, there, there's definitely mixed reviews about California. Uh, I know a lot <laughs> of nice people out there and I know a lot of people that I'm like, how are you still breathing? So I can, I can, I can understand that point at all. Okay. Um, if you could walk up to one person in the entire history of the world, you know, past, present, whatever, um, you walk up to them, kick them square in the shin with no repercussions, who are you kicking? Oh man, that's
1: a good one. Um, I think hard about this one. Um going through all of history?
0: Yeah, you we'll go all the way back to the to the dawn of time.
1: It's the dawn of time.
0: Or it could be current. With either one. Um I feel like there's plenty of viable candidates for this one.
1: You know, I'm going to kind of go un American here and say Teddy Roosevelt cuz he kind of came across like a little guy asshole so he's done a lot. I mean, he did a lot in history and was well-known and and led the country, but he was a little guy and just seemed like the guy who was always running his mouth.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, I'm going to give you three cars. All right, you got to pick which of the three cars. Your dream car, uh, uh, any sort of add-ons, whatever, any model that you want, but I'm going to give you three different options, three old muscle cars. You're going to pick one, and then you're going to go from there. You're going to tell me why you picked that one. The uh, The Dodge Challenger. Chevy Camaro or the Ford Mustang, any era? What era? What, first off, what year are you picking, uh, and why are you picking that car?
1: Ooh. man. I'm going uh, the 1989 Ford Mustang 5.0. It was still kind of hair metal, and uh, and you like you picture girls with a lot of hairspray and big bangs riding in the passenger seat and you know it was fast but not super fast like it was still a daily driver
0: yeah
1: um it would have to be red of course uh, like candy apple red um you know have a tape deck uh probably have a good amp and boom box in the back
0: so you just want to relive like the old miami vice days is what you're telling me
1: yeah well you know that's when i grew up like that was what i uh That's what I valued. You know, I remember when I got my first car and you're thinking, like, that was, man, I could have gotten a hold of one of those cheap. I would have totally done it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All (laughs) right. Last question. You're a WWE wrestler. What is your name and what is your walkout music?
1: Oh, man. Um, I'd be the Fat Cheetah. Okay. Because... I've I've been told I'm like a fat cheetah because I move like a cheetah. I'm very nimble, but I'm also moderately husky. Um,
0: I, you're, stocky. you're stocky. You're You're and I have very
1: similar builds, so yeah, we both but you're aren't lacking bowl. in the calf department.
0: This is um, true. And if, we we could probably run the world with just our calves. But you're more <laughs> of a bowling ball. Like you're literally like one of those few humans that's just as wide as you are tall. Yeah, I am. I would would say I'm a little taller than I am wide. But, yes, we have very similar, like, lever, uh, like, arm lengths, leg lengths versus our torso and stuff like that. I would agree with that 100%. So you're the the Fat Cheetah. What's your walkout song? Uh, It could
1: be any song. In the Air Tonight, definitely. In the Air Tonight with the drum solo right as I hit the ring.
0: That's pretty (laughs) you got to time that walkout, though, just right, because you see a lot of nowadays, a lot of these younger WWE wrestlers, like, they don't time certain parts of their songs when they do their little gimmick, and it looks really dumb, so you just got to be on point every time when you're walking out to the ring and make sure that you hit the the drum solo at the right time. Okay, so if people wanted to find you, uh, like, reach out to you or anything like that, or any sponsors that you work with, stuff like that, like, it's plug time. What do you got for plug time?
1: (laughs) Well, um, you can find me on Instagram. I think it's Zachary Riley. I'm pretty creative. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, well, I do work with Mark Valenian refined savage brand. Um, they, they just make cool stuff. And, um, yeah, they do. you know, I, <clears throat> I got, I have the opinion again, all training and stuff. It's not my full-time job. And, because of that, I get the ability to support and and chase things that I just enjoy, and you know, Carry right. Overfelt and his gym, Darkside Athletics, they have some gear, and um, I just love helping friends, and that's really what I represent. And um, but yeah, hit me up on you know Zachary Riley on Instagram. I have no idea. I have Facebook. I don't know what it is.
0: I think um, it's just Zach. I think it's just Zach Riley.
1: Yeah. And email if you want to get a hold of me professionally, ZA Riley at IUPY.edu. Hit me up.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Zach, very mu- uh, I appreciate this very much. Um, uh, thank you very much for being on. This was definitely more heavy on the science side, which uh, I love doing from time to time. It's just it's really good to get that information out there and get it out there in a non-biased, uh, no BS kind of way. So I really appreciate you being able to come on and talk shop with me, my man.
1: Oh, Thank you, Tommy.
0: Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.